My name is Dr. Josephine Palermo and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. Today, my co-host Ian Butterworth and I are joined by Mac Jow, who is an organizational psychologist working in the health sector. He helps us to understand what the dark triad is and how would we know we are in the presence of it. Importantly, he also offers some tips on what to do when confronted with someone who could have this distinct personality profile. I was absolutely fascinated by this conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it too. Well, welcome. We have a really special guest today. We have Mac Joel, organizational psychologist, to talk about uh, a really interesting topic with myself and Ian. Ian Butterworth is here. Hey, Ian, how are you? Hi, I'm well, thanks. Oh, that's good. Good to see you here. Um, and so, uh, Mac, could you please maybe introduce yourself? I always think it's better for people to introduce themselves because you know yourself better than most people. So over to you, Mac. Hi, Josie. Hi, Ian. I'm glad to be here. Um, yep, so um, as you mentioned, um, background is in organizational psychology. Um, so I did, I did a few years at a um, private consultancy where, you know, we did, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, psych personality being a big topic in uh, organizational psychology and is about, you know, how we apply some, a lot of these principles, a lot of these ideas within the workplace. Um, and yeah, so we did two years there where I really kind of honed and developed my skill sets within that, you know, within that arena. Um, and then since then I've been, you know, uh, moved back to, that was in Brisbane actually. And uh, since then I've been moved, I've moved back to Melbourne where, or Victoria, sorry. And, you know, recently been working within a health network, um, within the regional area. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Mac, how, how would you describe organizational psychology what what what's what's the elevator pitch about what an organizational psychologist does yeah i think um i think in the public it's quite a misconception you know my when i tell people um organizational psychologists everyone kind of thinks i'm a professional at organizing things which really isn't the case it is about um i think probably more accurate would be industrial psychologists where we are you know taking the you know the theories the principles and the ideas from psychology and then applying it within the workplace, um, you know, right, right from, you know, um, trying to improve productivity to, you know, how do we improve engagement, how do we improve, um, you know, the quality and satisfaction of work of our employees or our, um, or our managers. Um, so yeah, it is, it is right from, it is, it can be in, quite inclusive of everything within HR all the way into the more, um, you know, more classical psychological concepts and ideas. Awesome. I mean, I remember even during my undergraduate training uh, in psychology, the notion of personality and personality tests. It's been around for a while now, hasn't it? Um, tell, tell us about personality testing in organizations. Yeah, um, definitely has been quite, uh, been around for quite a while. And the development of you know, personality testing has been quite extraordinary. Um, in the workplace, I think the it is used quite widely. Um, um, I won't I won't go into too much detail about the you know, the, the scientific you know, components of the you know, um, personality testing, 
such as reliability and um, validity and all that stuff. But um, in terms of what it's about, you know, each a lot of um, consultancy, a lot of um, organizations do have their own um, own tests these days. I do find the more um, effective tools do kind of more focus on measuring um, preferences. You know, what do we prefer to do in certain situations, and how that how does that reflect on um, on different scenarios. Um, when we when I say preferences, I don't mean that it is it's not completely removed from personality because you know our preferences are quite a strong function of our personality as well. But you know in terms of you know what what you know what are the exact components that make up individual, it is quite difficult to actually measure and define. So in terms of you know, looking at the preferences, looking at the um, you know our behaviors and what we do, it is more. Um, but a good, good, strong indicator of what the what the underlying personalities are within an individual. I've heard this term, term the Big Five. What what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so in um, in the literature, in the in psycho- psychological research, we've found five Big Five factors that is um, that's been prevalent in you know, cross culturally. Um, on multiple, you know, all different demographics, um, and uh, there's actually been a few studies where the big five traits, which is um, which is agreeableness, conscientiousness, uh, emotional stability, um, that's agreeableness, openness to experience, and extroversion. So um, those five actually been there's a few studies actually been shown to, not those studies have actually shown those personality factors being present in animals as well. So it is the big, they wow. call the big five because um, it is the you know, big five personality trace that's been um, shown up over and over again and is quite reliable. Awesome. Matt, can you go over the five again? So it was agreeableness, openness. Conscientiousness, uh, emotional stability and extroversion. Fantastic. I didn't realise that they were present in animals as well. I didn't know yeah. that. Um, some studies showed like maybe three out of the five. Um, but then, you know, some other studies do have that, you know, the, all the five. Haven't you seen well. a cat video, Josie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I have seen there. a few. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Mac, I met you in the context of you uh, running a workshop where you introduced the notion of the dark triad. And I was immediately um, transfixed by this notion. Maybe it's having watched Game of Thrones and... Star Wars and God knows what else. <laughs> I mean, we've been joking this year. Um, just getting our, just getting the three of us to line up has been a challenge because we've all been suffering from another dark triad, which is the cold, the flu, and COVID. But in terms of personality, I was really fascinated by the fact that these, the big five personality uh, dimensions, there's a kind of underside to that. Yeah. Called the Dark Tree. Tell us about that because I'm fascinated by this. Yeah. Um, so the Dark Triad was first. Uh, the first study on the on the concept was in 2002 by um, Deloy Paulus and Kevin Williams. Um, so the the aim of the Dark Triad is actually to try understand the um, you know the personality of evil. So what's the what's the what's the what's the drivers? What's the personality constructs that drives people into some of these um, less ideal and less adaptive um, or less socially adaptive behaviors? The personality of evil. 
Yeah. Have you thought about writing novels? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe one day. Give it a shot. (laughs) How how would we know if somebody was worshipping at the altar of the dark triad? (laughs) Triad. Um, Yeah, I think... I think um, I suppose what in terms of what they actually, you know, if, whether how we know is, it might be a bit controversial in terms of you know everyone does have you know, some degree of these factors, um, which is like all personality. It's not saying like if you're a complete extrovert, if you're you're saying you're an extrovert, you're not completely all the time an extrovert. You do have some of those introvert tendencies. More about the scale of how high or low we are on some of these facets. So. Um, what are they again? The three. So dark, the dark triad is uh, Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy. So these wow. three, obviously, it's not in the big five personality traits. It's more of um, the term is you know, coined by um, those authors. But mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of the correlation and the relationship between the three with the big five is um, is quite well known as well. Um, but yeah, so the reason why um, you know. Everyone does have you know, varying levels of um, you know, these traits, but I think in terms of when it becomes more adaptive, when it becomes more harmful and um, socially unacceptable, is when we will kind of uh, maybe indicate that you know, the individual is narcissist so, or, or such. So, Mac, before we go on, because you know we we we. Sp- some of those terms are really well known and others aren't. So, for example, yeah. Machiavellianism, I can't even say that, yeah. um, perhaps not so well known as narcissism. Can you define those, particularly define them from how they've defined within the psychological literature? Because, yeah, you know, sure we've, had, we've had them defined in, you know, other, in, non-liter- in, non, in sort of yeah. fiction and other types of literature as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so psychopathy, I'll start with psychopathy. Um, it's... In, in this context, it is kind of defined in that more callousness, uh, lack of empathy, um, and those kinds of areas. Like, I suppose, in terms of conscientious, probably below on that as well. Um, narcissism, I think that's quite well known in the, you know, the community, where it is, you know, that grandiose sense of self, very strong, high sense of ego, um, but you know, not all the time being backed by the, um, their you know, results or um, delivery. Machiavellianism is um, is based on the you know, the book by I think Machiavelli, uh, where it's about in, in this in this context is about the um, tendency to manipulate and you know socially manipulate and control situations you know to achieve to achieve one's goal or objectives. As I recall, Machiavelli was a sort of Renaissance era Italian bureaucrat, perhaps. Yeah, who yeah. wrote a bit of a handbook on how to game the system or how to play people off against each other and how to manipulate situations, Josie? Yeah, right? absolutely. And, you know, if, um, I, if you look at um, Italian bureaucracy in Italy, you can see that still very much plays out. It's all about influence and manipulation and, um, you know, uh, the rules are there to be broken and, um, and bent Accord, mainly according to status, but you know that's just a, a tool um, in, around which people manipulate others. It sounds like this current mm. situation of an Australian bureaucrat who's who is trying to get a post for themselves in New York City. Just, I'm hearing a bit of dark triad going on there. Could be. Could be. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's one good place to start looking for people high in these these traits, right? So, Mac, have you come across? people that are 
at the altar of the dark triad? Are they wearing Darth Vader outfit or are they uh, just hiding most in of, a tree? Most of the time, yes. Um, the cape as well, you know. No, um, I think um, I think it is. I suppose you know sometimes you do see people quite manipulative, and um, I should mention the reason why we do have uh, you know why the authors they you know um, said the three as the dark triad is because you know when one person is high when someone is high in one of these three traits, they're usually quite high in the other two as well. So a few people that I've you know come across in the past where. You know, quite clearly, they're quite, you know, very, very you know, Machiavellian you know, style, where they are quite manipulative, you know, very socially ad- adept um, in terms of how they uh, maneuver, you know, the social environment. It, I suppose, you know, from the outside, it does look quite callous, and you know, I think you would <laughs> quite easily argue there is a degree of psychopathy in there as well, where it is very little disregard for other people, and it's more about their social, their own personal gains and goals that they're trying to achieve. So, you know, one of my late night monologues that I have with myself and anyone else who's unfortunate enough to be within earshot is that I I feel like the current era kind of enables the dark triad. It's almost like our organisational cultures in this late stage capitalism. It almost enables that kind of behaviour because we have hollowed out institutions, um it seems like there's a kind of cynical um, there's a cynical belief by people with Machiavellian tendencies that they can get what they want by behaving in that way and they kind of get rewarded for treating people badly. I'm, I'd love to think the pendulum was swinging the other way. But is that just me in a jaundiced worldview or is it is it somehow linked to a sort of neoliberal... Yeah. mindset that that sort of strips organizations of their of their human capital if you like yeah i think um i think it's definitely not just you there is uh, a bit of research looking into the relationship of um, you know, dark triad in the in the workplace um and you're definitely right it is a tendency for um, you know these individuals to be rewarded for some of these um these traits and i should mention like um the reason why these traits are you know, they're present and why they, you know, some individuals, like, they might be very manipulative and they get really um, good at that, um, that tendency is because it, it is somewhat adaptive in an um, evolutionary sense. I mean, it is um, you know, in terms of you know, manipulating to achieve your goals and achieve your, um, your objectives, it's going to be in your best interest to be good at that skill and be able to achieve that um, the outcome. Um, so it is, I suppose, yeah, it is rewarded um, in terms of promotions or, you know, someone who's a probably narcissist um, who has high in uh, narcissism. It's probably more likely to, you know, self-promote, um, talk themselves up for the team's accomplishments, whereas not giving other people credit and, you know, someone, um, maybe their leader who's quite distant from the project might not actually see or um, hear about the, you know, the group's contribution. So, um, yeah, so it is a high reward system in how... Some of these things, um, you know, come through, um, but but yeah, I think you know, everyone does have you know, some level of these traits. But it's more about when um, it becomes destructive that you know we need to be a little more cautious. Mac, is there a, a proportion of a population? So have researchers sort of looked at this and, and identified what kind of proportion we're talking about? Because because these feel quite extreme to me. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of, I haven't seen um, the, the. I'm guessing there would be some research out there, um, but in terms of the normal distribution of these traits, it's. Um, I have seen the research saying there's a normal bell curve. So I'm guessing, you know, if you go into the, you know, one and two standard deviation, it would be the more extreme cases of um, of these personality traits. Um, yeah. While you've been talking, I suddenly had a flashback to a character in The Lion King. There's there's a very manipulative, I can't remember their name, unfortunately, but Scarf? one of the, is it a hyena or? Oh, I'm I think it is the hyena. About... Yeah, they always so... get the bad rap, the hyena. <laughs> but it, as you're talking, Mac, I'm realising that our many cultural references, there is the, there is the, the evil plotting, scheming character. So I guess um, even even the term the dark triad. I mean, it sounds sensationalist, but in some ways it links us to those characters that we can identify in films or cartoons that that play that role, the villain, if you like. Yeah, yeah, definitely, hundred um, percent. But I think the it is that plotting, it is that manipulation, it is that um, you know that callousness. But I think the the highlight there is the callousness and the lack of empathy or um, consideration mm. for others. Whereas I suppose you wouldn't, I suppose you can't really achieve a goal without planning, without some control of the situation of, of your leader would need to, um, manipulative is the negative connotative word, but they would need to control and influence their team to you know, inspire and um, engage. So I think the so key there is the lack of- If this you know, Machiavellianism then, it sounds like there's a strategy at play. There's actually some conscious intent to maybe gaslight and set people up against each other. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think Machiavellian. I suppose if you look at the research, has actually shown Machiavellianism as being the less destructive of the two. Someone who's oh. only high in Machiavellianism but lower in narcissism and psychopathy, they tend to see the long-term benefits of oh. you know, playing the you know, the good Samaritan being socially um, adaptive so that ah, you know, the ah. long-term goal is to achieve their um, you know, um, you know, promotions or you know, the networking ability. But, you're some, but individuals high in Machiavellian as well as psychopathy, it becomes that, you know, that, that negative agenda where it's like, you know, um, they're trying to quick gains whereas you know, very little regard for, um, for the other individual. So someone who's high on Machiavellianism can engage in acts of kindness and uh, pro-social behavior, but it may be a tactic to get something. It's not because it's coming from a deep empathy and it's not because it's they want to create a community of practice. They want to yeah. get something out. Wow. <laughs> yeah, gaming that um, the, the normal social reciprocity. Oh, you know, we've, all, we've all evolved to, you know, you know, when we get something, we want to return it in favor where, you know, Machiavellianists might gain that that concept to um, get their favor from um, down the track. So, I mean, if these people are walking in our midst and we're working in their company, how would we start to know that we were in the presence of someone like that? What would be the signs? Um, I think, as I mentioned, so I think everyone does have varying levels of, you know, these three traits. Like psychopathy can actually be adaptive as well, where it is the shutting down of emotion to you know, achieve uh, what you need to do, like in a you know, very serious situation where um, if you're seeing someone being attacked, 
and you need to shut down your emotions to be able to help that individual. So it is, um, so everyone has varying levels of these three. Um, as I mentioned before, it is when it becomes um, extreme and maladaptive, destructive, that it is, you know, we want to be um, a little more cautious. So, um, so I think in terms of if, we're, if we were to kind of notice someone being, you know, quite callous, you know, repetitively, um, you feel like you're being picked on or such, um, I think the best thing to do is, um, you know, just be profe professional in our style. It is taking those notes. It is making sure there is records. Um, you know, email these days is very easy to you know, keep track of you know, conversations, and um, you know, reaching out to HR rep or you know, the EAP services to get that outside perspective, so that you know you bring getting that outside point of view to help um, you know, understand and see you know, what what's actually happening and what what can be done in those situations. While you've been talking, I've been thinking of two people that I encountered um, working in government. One was at the sort of deputy secretary level, if you like, fairly high up. But another one was someone I had had to manage. <laughs> so, you know, it's not just people in positions of power over you. It's, it might be people that report to you. Um, and I guess the behavior is likely to be different in those two contexts, right? Yeah, um, I, I think it depends on which, which of the three we're, we're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose someone high in one of these, um, say narcissist, narcissism, someone high narcissism that's reporting to you, um, I suppose you will be you know, seeing all the positives, all the great things that this individual is doing where they might be subtly, um, you know, this, this disparaging their colleagues and making it seem like all the effort and all the contributions come from them. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I think it'll be, it will be it will be quite different from a, um, being managing one of these individuals because you know, you're most likely the one that's being gamed and um, worked to try to get that promotion on their part. Or... And I guess you might encounter people as a manager, people that are sort of on their way up, quote unquote, who would see you as either a stepping stone or impediment or as a tool um, in all senses of the word to get where they want to get. Um, I'm actually having a flashback to a famous Hollywood movie called All About Eve where uh, a Hollywood star has an understudy that comes to work with her and the understudy is probably in the dark triad and this understudy uh, does everything in their power to become the the lead to become the star uh, and the film ends with the the dark triad person who's become the star a new understudy comes to work with her <laughs> and she's <laughs> the understudy is in the dark triad as well it's hilarious um, yeah so oh, wow I mean being having worked in government and that whole HR apparatus that all, almost creates inertia and, and torpor and stasis because there are so many checks and balances and forms and documents and procedures and he said, they said, she said. Like, to deal with that kind of behaviour with someone who is working at that level, 
within the triad. It's so exhausting. And it's not just government too, Ian. I mean, you see this in private sector as well. Uh-huh. Definitely, you definitely see this. What have in you seen, sector. Josie, in your in your experience? I've definitely seen, particularly at the leadership level, I've seen these kinds of um, modalities or or, or um, traits. And 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 you're right, Mac. It's it's not always at the extreme end. And and sometimes there's a you know, uh, you know, there's a, a play uh, amongst those three things, but you do see p- particularly those behaviours where perhaps you're surprised, you're thinking that someone has um, a view or that they have an empathic view of something, but their actual behaviour is more along the lines of feeling no empathy at the time, being able to move through um, you know their 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 particular strategy, and um, and also you do see that a lot of in particularly in private sector you do see a lot of that narcissism where you see leaders taking credit or perhaps even outright lying about their mm. achievements, outright lying about what they what they've been able to do or what they could do, and so that there is that, and so I I think and and I don't know if HR systems are set up to deal with that because again you're dealing with things that are very subtle and it is behaviors and and often people who are dealing with, with the um, end of that with the uh, are feeling perhaps a little bit um, they're second guessing themselves they're feeling a little bit unsure about what they're actually seeing because because we don't expect it we expect people to act with good intention or we expect people to act with the same intention that we have um, yet, yet we're all, you know, walking around with with very different ideas about what's in front of us, what's what the reality is, is in front of us. So, so Mac, I just wonder, you know, in in the work that you've done, have you seen a, a really, you know, what what would be good practice in dealing with this? And you've mentioned, you know, go to HR and record, you know, document yep. what's going on. But what what do you do even before that? Because I think, how do you get to the point where you think? Hang on, something is going to going on now that I need to document. What what kind of self awareness do we need to sort yeah. of, I guess, arm ourselves? Um, I think, I guess, um, I guess uh, it would be having that. You know, if someone is repetitively, you know, um, you know taking credit or you know feeling, if you're feeling like something, you know, something quite callous, it is would be it would be um, something that's quite repetitive. Uh, if it's a one-off thing, maybe it is um, obviously have that conversation, you know, not to be, um, don't alienate yourself. I think someone who's, you know, probably high in um, psychopathy or Machiavellianism, they will want to be, you know, as you, know, you said before, you know, gaslighting. So they do probably would want to alienate you or make you feel alienated. So it is reaching out um, quite early on. Um, so I think, yeah, it is. I suppose just having those conversations um, is you never really know, you know whether some, whether something like this is happening or not. Um, but the more we talk, the more we engage with those around us, the less likely it could spiral into that into that situation. And I think also actually being aware of our environment, the the the, the hidden environment. So what's happening in the group dynamics? What's happening? Uh, what are the intangible things? And often we get a gut feel. So if you're involved in an interaction and someone behaves in a way that's misaligned to the organisational values or your own values, you get a gut feel, don't you? You kind of get a twinge. You go, oh, that didn't, 
that didn't feel right. What's going on yeah. there? And it's actually having um, having people you can talk to about that is really helpful. I've got one one case of a um, a female manager who was uh, her and the CFO were the only two women on the on this executive team. There was a lot of behaviours going on, and and but they they teamed up together. So they would analyze what's going on or as much as they could, they would discuss the group dynamics um, and kind of back each other. And I think having that, having Mm. someone who you can talk to is really important just to, you know, test some things with someone else. Yeah, just flesh out the ideas. (laughs) Was Was this actually what happened or am I just imagining what? Yeah. I've got a question. We've talked about HR as an organisational entity. That term isn't used so much anymore, is it? It's more people and oh, culture, people and for culture. example. Yeah, yeah. And it occurs to me that I, I guess um, the sort of pejorative view of HR departments is they're often very much the, the delivery mechanism of the dark triad in, in the executive level. Whereas I would hope that the term people and culture is, is, has been created to see it as a, a group with some, some influence over the culture of the entire organisation, including people at the strategic apex. Um, I guess the risk is what happens, <laughs> what happens if HR has got the dark triad working within it? Um, to what, capaci- what, what is the capacity of organisations right now to, to regulate the the culture within people yeah. and culture hmm i think um based on what i've um uh, come across with you know, a lot of organizations with um you know high performance and um you know very tight kpis or whatever um like those the more competitive the more um more you know the more um you know more difficult kpis or whatever um the more likely it's you know people are going to result into some of these, you know, um, dark trade traits. Um, so I think what can be done even before we get to that point is probably making sure that, you know, we're being rewarded for the correct behaviors, not correct, but the more um, desirable behaviors. So in terms of that clarity culture where um, I, I know one organization, they uh, reward, so in terms of bonuses or whatever, they're rewarded on the basis of everyone's contribution or everyone's um, outcomes. So if one, if one team member starts you know, falling down a little bit and you know, the projects don't really hit up and they can't meet their target goals or quarter goals, sorry, um, then the whole team is uh, compensated less. Whereas you know, oh, wow. if, if one individual is you know, compensated just for their contributions, it's probably a little more competitive, a little more mm. likely that um, some, of those, some of those traits will you know, transpire. Sounds like the dreaded university group assignment has made its way into corporate culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, not, don't want that again. <laughs> wow. Oh, this is so fascinating. And I guess um, there are so many layers of this onion to peel off. The, the zeitgeist, the culture, the ideology of the dominant sort of economic system, the, the, the dominant values of a society. Um the vision of the organization, its mission, its purpose, the way it has rewards and checks and balances, all of those things. I mean, this is why I love organizations, but it's also why having been a manager, I'm also terrified of the the power and the 
the responsibilities that are contained in some of those managerial roles where you're you're managing up, you're reporting up, you're also so-called managing down or supporting team members you know it's 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 a really it's a challenge and um if you don't have the the support of the organization around you it's a very lonely stressful situation where you start second guessing yourself and start doubting your own capability well that was my experience anyway um but then to have the dark tree ad piled on top of that um, I think you've, as Josie said earlier, you know when you can walk into a place, you get a sense of the mood automatically. doesn't matter what's written on paper. You just get a vibe. And I know that sounds a bit kooky and a bit new age, but I don't know. I was in somewhere recently. I walked in, uh, I had an eye test or something, and I walked into a place that was sort of deathly silent, even though it had about 20 people working in it. I just thought, something's not right here. Yeah, <laughs> Oh, that doesn't, um, sound, doesn't sound friendly. <laughs> well, I and I guess when you're picking up those signals, I mean, if you if you don't have the opportunity to leave, I mean, assuming, I mean, sometimes you don't have that many places to go. If if it's a down, if it's a a tough economy, and if it's an insecure workforce, and times are tough, and you've got responsibilities, you're looking after people at home, whatever it might be, you can't just leave. But if the vibe is that bad, you probably need to, or at least start to look somewhere else. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Which is why I think um, I think in terms of the interview process, we do kind of take it that it is um, you know, very one-sided. But that's like the key. That definitely is the key opportunity for the you know, the candidate to understand the culture and the values of the organisation in a little more in depth. Um, but sometimes, you know, a lot of people might enjoy that, you know, very competitive, very um, self-promoting environment where they feel like they can um, really thrive. So maybe a culture where it is um, a little bit high in some of these areas would be, you know, a good, good fit for some people. So, so yeah, I think, um, yeah, to not get caught, in, caught up in that kind of um, that trap, it is, you know, making sure that we are understanding the organization's values and culture before going in and I suppose most people I think I would imagine would prefer more collaborative and more supportive rather than that kind of um, dark triad <laughs> situation. But you're very, you're very, that's 100% though Mac, it, this might be an, an environment where you thrive and the, the main thing there, like I, I think the takeaway there is, you know, be find an environment where you thrive, where the fit is right for you and uh, if, if it's not right for you, then it's probably not you, it's them. <laughs> so, so, you know, you My either walk, <laughs> you walk with your feet or if you can't, to your point, Ian, if you can't walk with your feet, then find someone else to talk to who can give you a perspective because not doing anything uh, and sort of sitting in it, um, it does affect you. It does affect you in terms of diluting your own self-confidence and in, in, in terms of, how, you know, uh, creating all sorts of um, negative um, self-talk that you don't need because it's not coming from you necessarily. Wow. Yeah, definitely. And I would just kind of add to that as well, seeing um, I think in that situation it is probably best to um, probably leave that uh, organisation. But, you know, looking to a new role and such, you might have that tendency to, you know, go through all the all the negative stuff. But, you know, just keep in mind... It's, not ideal, but you know, maintain that professionalism so that we are putting our best foot forward and that we can you know, 
have the best chance to leave that culture as soon as possible. Well, thank you so much. What a great conversation. Thank you so much, Mac. And thank you, Ian, for um, spending the time here. This has been really fascinating. Um, and um, I hope that um, people listening have got something out of it. I'm sure they have. And I hope they're not confronted with too much of this on the extreme end. But but absolutely, it's, these traits are very present and they can, you know, be a, 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 a source of really... Um, great impact uh, in in a positive way as well as a negative way. Thanks, Rosie. Thank you so much, Mac. Um, as I said, I really enjoyed the workshop uh, where I met you for the first time, and I'm I'm a collector of interesting people, so I feel like my, my mission has been accomplished. And um, how do people reach out to you? Have you got a LinkedIn profile, Mac, that people can uh, oh, yeah, connect I with you? I do. Yep. Um, it's just my name, so Mac Joe. I'm not sure would that be included in the we'll, title side. We'll, We'll post it. We'll make sure you're tagged when we post it so people can follow up with you for a direct connection. Yes, that's great. Thank awesome. You. Thank great. You so Thanks, much. everyone.